Welcome to episode number 37 of Off the Shelf. Don't walk around the down and out. Lend a helping hand instead of doubt. And the kindness that you show every day will help someone along their way. You've got to find a little kindness, yeah. Hi, my name is Rod Bergen, and I want to welcome you to this week's episode of the Off the Shelf podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to ask questions and to help you, our listener, find the answers to those questions. We want to help you know what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. Off the Shelf is primarily directed at followers of the message of William Branham and former followers like ourselves. Off the Shelf is now being heard in over a hundred countries and we are glad you could join us. In this week's podcast, we are continuing with part three of our interview with John Collins, the author of the Seek the Truth website. Let's get back to, we talked initially about the CBC interview and some things coming out of that. Maybe you can give us some context about what was behind that interview in general with the CBC and specifically um, why they were interviewing you, which is all about a couple of individuals in London, Ontario. It is a tragic story. It Honestly, it's one that deep inside it, it's painful to listen to. But there was a, a young uh, man who was well-to-do in the city of London. He he was a also an activist, but for good causes. He had charitable organizations to help children in need, and he was doing a lot of very good things for his community. And he had recently became a Christian and started learning about the Bible, learning about Jesus, but he didn't have a strong Christian foundation. All he had was a basic understanding, and he wanted to learn more. And he came in contact with some people who were in the area, and they were secret followers of William Branham. And I say the word secret because there's a lot of people in this cult that they go to what they call tape churches. And the secrecy of this is that they can go in the secrecy of their own home and listen to these tapes. They're not hearing a sermon. They're hearing William Branham. They're not around other people, so they're not learning how other people receive the words. And, uh, you know, they're forming this little group that is growing as this secret splinter cell of the message. But what they do is they try to lure other people into their secret splinter cell and eventually grow it into a church. And that's what happened with um, this Matthew. They, they approached him at a time when he was learning basic fundamentals of Christianity, and they showed him what they said was a better way. They claimed that, you know, like, like all of the message does, they claimed that William Branham had special mysteries, and if he understood these mysteries, 
and that these mysteries were required to go into heaven, very much like Gnostics, uh, the Gnostic cell that dragged many people out of mainstream Christianity in the days of the early church, these people were trying to do that in London. Yeah. It's really quite funny when you listen to, and, and we'll put a couple of links on the um, offtheshelf.life page for this webcast that people can look and see for themselves what's happening. There's some TV interviews. But when I hear Matthew being interviewed, he uses um, terminology that clearly is, he's just, uh, regurgitating what William Branham says when he's speaking about children, he calls them little fellows. Yeah. <laughs> Who uses that kind of terminology today? But you can yeah. find William Branham using that. So they've got it's this weird. They've they've listened to William Branham so much they just parrot what he's saying. Mm -hmm. I re I read this book recently called Combating Cult Mind Control. Um, it's an excellent book if if you want to understand the psychology behind what's happening. But one of the chapters deals with the, the cult special lingo. And basically, when you're taking the cult identity and you're learning to become a miniature version of the cult member, you actually start speaking like him. And I'll be honest with you, if I were to go and try to describe that to somebody else in the city who doesn't understand this, they would think I'm talking about something from science fiction or a horror movie. <laughs> but yep. I recently, just yesterday, I receive hate mail every day. And I receive hate mail from this person in Africa who says, the stuff you're saying is Tommy rot. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I, you know, I always, always respond courteously because, you know, these people can't help it. They've been programmed to talk like this. But I wanted to say... Had you not been programmed with William Branham, you would never have no, even known this insult from the 1960s. <laughs> the, the word Tommy Rot, yeah. you know, it, though it was commonly used back then, he's probably the first person that I've heard said it in, outside of the tapes in my life. <laughs> yeah, so, it's, it's completely bizarre. Yeah. Just so our listeners know, and this is, uh, I'm, I'm now quoting from the from the London Free Press newspaper in an article they wrote um, this back in July of last year, July 2016. So this has been going on for a while. They say, two London street preachers have taken their in-your-face message that God will rain judgment on unbelievers, gays, and immodest dressers to the crossroads of small-town Ontario. People are saying, you know, there's quotes in this newspaper article such as, I'm sick of being called a whore while I'm trying to walk to work. Somebody wrote on a petition that's been circulating to get these guys off the streets of London, Ontario. Yeah, you know, one of the things, this is powerful for somebody who is in the message and helping them to wake up because you're seeing these people suddenly become William Branham, whereas even in their own churches, you don't have the same type of mentality. Matthew and Steve, who are the two men who are speaking on the streets of London, they are saying exactly what William Branham said. They're doing exactly what William Branham told them to do. William Branham often said, become more like the Johns who went right into the face of uh, the king and condemned 
condemn the sins. They're doing exactly what William Branham said to do, where when most of these cult churches around the, the globe won't do it. So you're seeing a Matthew who has taken the cult identity, using the cult lingo, and clearly being been programmed to do what he's doing. Uh, yeah, all you can say is it's just very, very sad um, when you see them, uh, actually, as I said, parroting things that William Branham says almost verbatim. Right. So uh, what's your response to message followers that claim that William Branham only spoke these derogatory statements against women that were not his followers? Is that true? There was a show, I don't know if you remember it or not, but growing up, one of the, <laughs> one of the things that a cult royalty had the privilege of was some of us had television. And there were periods of time when we had it and periods of time whenever it was blown. To and of course, you know, and we just <laughs> found out this from on Sylvia Perkins, that, that Joseph Branham grew up with a TV in his bedroom, completely unsupervised. When I heard that, I was like, what are you talking about? That is just bizarre. I, I purposefully do not speak about the things that the Branham family do, but there will come a time that whenever all is made known, people can be shocked. <laughs> yeah. But growing up, there was this television show called Candid Camera. Yep. And I loved it. It it was it was probably the best entertainment that I grew up with. And there was a guy, I don't know if you saw it or remember, but there was a guy that did double talk. And he he could say all these words and make it sound like a sentence, but it wasn't a sentence. It wasn't structured. And you left more confused. You didn't know what he was saying. William Branham, when he makes these statements, he will, on one hand, describe women as being the, the female gender, as being designed and created by Satan, the whole female gender. Then on the other hand, he'll say, no, I'm not talking about you, you precious sisters, referring to his, the cult members of the female gender. But he just told them that their gender was created by Satan to deceive men. <laughs> so, And that every single crime that was ever committed had a woman behind it. Exactly. Which is exactly. bizarre. Yeah, and, and you know, the people in the cult, they try to reconcile this. They try to say, well, Eve was the one who was partook of the original sin, so every crime goes all the way back to Eve. But if you look at what he said, that's not what he is saying. He also says that he drives past women who are pulled over, and they're talking the, the policemen out of their tickets. He's actually referring to the female gender. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Yeah. So getting back to what Steve and Matthew are saying, and people can read in detail and hear what they're saying, that William Branham didn't condone the types of things they're saying, but did to, you, what do you say to that? To anybody who says this, one of the things that I tell women when they first contact me and they're curious about the website and they're thinking about examining their faith. The very first thing I say is read the marriage and divorce sermon. Yeah, tell yeah. me, <laughs> tell me, is this something that you want your, your daughters to grow up in? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. That's exactly you know, right. William Branham promoted what they're saying. Yeah, no, he was certainly misogynistic. And if you don't know what that word is, it would be good to look it up and you will learn something, learn a new word for your vocabulary, but it is clear 
that William Branham was a misogynist. Exactly. So you also talked on CBC about the fact that William Branham had ties to the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan. Where does this come from? Whenever we first started examining the message, there were a couple things that that stood out to me. Um, because I, I grew up, a, a large part of my life, I grew up in the South. And I was familiar with civil rights, I was familiar with the Klan, not to the level that I am now, but I understood it. And I understood that it was a terroristic group that organized in the United States and terrorized the country. I knew this. And then I heard William Branham say, I don't care what they do, no matter what they do, I will never forget them because they paid my hospital bills. And this presented a problem to me because I had several friends who were African American and they're genuinely good people. And when you think back on civil rights and you think back on the suffering that those people had to go through to earn the freedom that they have now, and for a man who's claiming to be prophet of God to call Martin Luther King communistic inspired to be so dead set against John F. Kennedy, who was who was strongly promoting civil rights and you know, speak against the African-Americans who not only voted for him, but he spoke against the African-Americans who are trying to, who are wanting to integrate their schools. It presented a huge problem for me. And I started researching Roy Davis. And I learned that... And now, now Roy Davis was William Branham's first pastor. More than that... Um, Roy Davis, it's a long history, more one that's longer than we could get to in this conversation. But Roy Davis was not just William Branham's pastor, though he admits this. Davis was in Jeffersonville, Indiana, and he was creating evangelists. He was creating an organization that was sending people out while he was in Jeffersonville. And if you study William Branham's statements, though he doesn't go into great detail, he talks about the trips up to Chicago and Lake Pawpaw. He's talking about going with Davis on evangelistic campaigns. Davis was a high-ranking member in the Ku Klux Klan. He was one of the founding members of the 1915 rebirth of the Klan. He wrote their bylaws. <clears throat> he wrote their constitution. And he structured it uh, with William Joseph Simmons as an... Um, as a religious organization, but it was a political cult in disguise of a religious organization. Davis became uh, Simmons' official spokesperson, and he and Simmons went around spreading the Ku Klux Klan in 1915 through about 1921, I believe it is. Um, <clears throat> and with them was Congressman William D. Upshaw, who was also a ranking member of the Ku Klux Klan. When the when they were when the U.S. government tried to shut them down, Simmons and Upshaw went to Washington D.C. and basically defended the Klan, and was able to keep the Ku Klux Klan active in the United States. Davis, unfortunately for him, because he missed on out on quite a bit of money, um, he was being 
chased by uh, federal and local, state, and federal government for many crimes spreading from Texas to Georgia to Tennessee. And he went and hid out in Louisville on crimes of uh, taking women across state lines for sex. And he he started a scandal in Louisville where he was – he was swindling people out of money, trying to build up a massive amount of money. We learned later he was trying to start his own sect of the Klan, but he's he's he basically put him got himself in so much trouble in Kentucky that he hid in Jeffersonville for a while uh, before he was extradited back. But he came to Ralph Rader's church in Jeffersonville. That's the brother of Paul Rader who wrote the Only Believe song. And he basically stole Ralph Rader's, half of Ralph Rader's congregation. And when he did, he started the church that was in Jeffersonville, the, the Pentecostal church that they had. He Which ordained, was a Pentecostal Baptist church. William Branham said he was ordained as a Baptist, but a missionary Baptist, but he was a Pentecostal Baptist. Yeah, and if you, if you actually go back and you study what that church was, there is another group of churches called Pentecostal Baptist denomination. This was not that. Yeah. It was actually a Pentecostal church. <clears throat> William Branham, you know, Davis got, he got extradited to Arkansas on charges of murder and grand theft. And William Branham, basically, the church that was Davis's became the church of Branham's. And the deed says the Billy Branham Pentecostal church. And it was but, called the Pentecostal Tabernacle before William Branham, the narcissist, named the church after himself. Mm-hmm. And this that's more significant than people realize because one of the fundamental elements of the message cult <clears throat> are the many times and many varying versions and <laughs> um, somewhat contradicting life story testimonies that William Branham gives. But the key element to his elevating himself into the status of a prophet. He claims that he was running from God and running from Pentecostalism, essentially. Yeah. And he says that he listened to his mother-in-law instead of his own will, and his mother-in-law told, her, told him that he did, she didn't want his daughter in that church. Knowing what we know now, she did not want... <laughs> their daughter in this church that's that's run by the Ku Klux Klan. (laughs) (laughs) But and there's you know, and there's more than just that. The story's deep. While they were in Jeffersonville, he he was in the news constantly for his swindling crimes, his sexual crimes, you know, the civil suits. He stole a piano. I mean, this is not a well respected man in the city of Jefferson. Roy Davis was not a good guy. Roy Davis was not a good guy. The people in Jeffersonville did not want him there. Yeah. And uh, John, something, and, and this is kind of an out-of-the-blue question because it's something in the back of my mind which I've not looked at. William Branham every, I mean, mentions things a couple of times, and, and you're not sure where they're from and what they— because he talked about a guy by the name of John Ryan and something called the School of the Prophets that he went and got involved with for a time. Have you ever chased that down? I have studied it, yes, to great extent. And there's a couple things to play. Um, Davis was an opportunist. Yeah. 
you, Davis had, um, whenever he, he was ran out of the state of Texas, he had several churches that thought that he was their pastor. And each individually thought that he was leading their churches, but what he was doing was living by the rails. He would pastor one church and say, I have to go on a missionary trip and go to another. But he was trying very hard to create a following because he saw the monetary value in religion being misused. And so he was literally swindling town by the railroad. Whenever you apply this to what you see with the story of John Ryan and the story of Roy Davis, Davis is trying to re reestablish in Jeffersonville what he had originally established in Texas. Okay. He tried in the state of Georgia and got ran out of Georgia for his criminal activity. He tried in the state of Tennessee and got ran out of Tennessee for his criminal activity. Tried again in Kentucky, got ran out of there, tried again in Jeffersonville. The Jeffersonville timeline is opportunistic because the, the Indiana clans was the largest clan organization at the time, and they were by far the most popular. And D.C. Stevenson, who ran them, had just been imprisoned for murder. So Davis is in Indiana at a time whenever he can take over. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to build a cult following. What's interesting is he's trying to build a religious cult following. Mm -hmm. Because uh, I've since came to my opinion is that the message cult, the message doctrine, it is actually a political cult under the disguise of Christianity. Because you see the political agendas, you know, he is preaching religious sermons, don't get me wrong, but woven in each sermon are these little details that are actually supportive of clan agenda during that time period. So John, we do hear William Bram speaking highly of Africans. He was over in Africa a couple of times, African-Americans. Can, can you really say that Branham was supportive of the Klan's agenda? Well, the Klan agenda, you know, whenever I first heard of the Klan, I thought, well, these are people that hate blacks. You, it's interesting because you've got, <laughs> recently we had a pastor in Tennessee, a cult, message cult pastor that was labeled the most racist pastor in America. Yeah. And, and he says, I, but I like those people. I buy them bicycles. Now, to a person who's in this cult, you think, oh, he buys them bicycles. He must not be racist. But to a person who was never raised with that racist mentality, he has just racially profiled the blacks. He called them as though they were a different people than him. And he bought them bicycles. <laughs> so he's degrading basically their monetary status and many other things. Um, we were taught to racially profile the black people. We were taught, you know, the original agenda, the reason that the Klan was reborn was because, partly because of this film that came out in 1915, Birth of a Nation. And the entire film made the statement that, you know, the whole South, slavery has been abolished and they're starting to integrate sections of the cities where black people are now but this film, you know, called them black people, African-Americans, yeah, yeah. are are integrating with the white part of the city, and eventually they're going to marry our wives, and we're going to have mulatto children. And this led to an uprising in the nation, and shortly after that, there was a incident with the Jewish community in Atlanta, 
and they they basically they they wrongfully hung a man and a Jewish man in Atlanta for a murder that he did not commit. <clears throat> right after this, the Klan was reborn on those premises, and that initial premise that they were born, that the Klan was birthed from, is that interracial marriage is anti-biblical, which is one of the primary doctrines in the message. William Branham would not allow blacks to marry white, and he was very adamant in sermons about this. And of course, that cannot be justified through the Bible. Absolutely not. You've got Moses who had a black wife, you had Solomon. I mean, it, if you truly believe what the New Testament is saying, that all men are equal, and you truly even believe the story of Genesis, that all men and women came from Adam and Eve, you cannot have racial profiling. But the Klan was more than just that. They were anti-Catholic. They did not want the Catholics to take over the cities and the churches. And you had Klan rallies raising up churches to fight Catholicism, which William Branham was also fighting. Um, it's too long of a conversation for this talk. I think if you read the book Stone Mountain to Dallas, you'll see kind of the trail. But if you line up the Klan agenda over time and then go look at some of the sermons that William Branham is saying, you're going to find that he's taking the stance against civil rights in every single case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. We're going to end the podcast there for this week as we try to keep our episodes under 30 minutes. We invite you to join us next week for the conclusion of our interview with John Collins. If you have a question or comment, please feel free to go to our website at offtheshelf.life. There is a comment section at the bottom of every episode's webpage. Or you're welcome to send an email to me at rod at offtheshelf.life. Have a great week, and thanks for listening. He's got to die,